Welcome to the 32nd Wonder Space Journey. It's great to have you on board. My name is Steve Cole, and since September 2020, I have been asking the same six questions to people from around the world. The questions revolve around life and wonder, places of reset and stories of hopefulness. The setting for all of our interviews is a virtual window seat on the space station, 250 miles above Earth, where we see everything from a different perspective. This week, our orbit will take us from Alaska to the Gulf of Mexico, and to experience these views with us in this ultimate window seat, we welcome James Arbib, who is the co-founder of a think tank called Rethink X. They analyze and forecast the scope, speed and scale of tech-driven disruption and its implications across society. As you'll hear in this episode, the team at Rethink X suggests that we are on the cusp of the fastest, deepest and most consequential transformation of human civilization in history. A shorter version of this episode, together with footage of this journey from Alaska to the Gulf of Mexico, can be found at ourwonder.space. I start by asking James, from this window seat 250 miles above Earth, which place, city or country would you want us to fly over and why? I mean, there are so many choices there, but I, I think for the flyby, I would love to go to Mesopotamia. Um, I, you know, I've always had this kind of incredible fascination with, with history. And, I, you know, Suma and Uruk, the world's, I guess, the first city uh, in history, uh, has always just kind of held a fascination for me. I mean, it's, it's where, you know, writing was invented, where the wheel was invented, where irrigation and the plow, and, and I mean, just an incredibly creative, inventive place and era back then. It's also a kind of lesson as well, because, you know, now it's, you know, desert. I mean, we, we go there today, we'll see a few kind of relics, but basically desert for miles around. Um, because, of course, they kind of, you know, overexploited their, their landscape. And, um, and I, 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 it's, just, it's just one of those places I've, I've never been. I've never been to that part of the world. And it's just, you know, I, I've, always, I've always felt when I visited sort of Egypt or Rome, you know, you can just feel the, you know, the energy of history kind of seeping into your body. And I think, I think to go to Uruk, which was really, you know, the birthplace of civilization in many ways, would, would just be an extraordinary experience. James, give us a glimpse into your life story so far with an emphasis on what you are doing currently. A glimpse into my life story so far. Well, I mean, I, I guess in, in many ways I'd describe it as a, a, something of a random walk. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'll go back, I guess, to, to university as a starting point where you know, I studied history. And um, that was a, a kind of fascination for me. And um, and it's kind of stayed with me ever since. But I, you know, I stumbled out of, of, of Cambridge nearly 30 years ago now and fell into finance, as you know, a lot of people did back then for lack of career planning and for the fact that they paid the best salaries. So I ended up there, hated it, but stayed with it and um, eventually kind of made my way through various kind of you know, changes um, to venture capital, uh, particularly clean technology venture capital. 
And my involvement there kind of created a, a, a real interest in environmental issues. And I began to get involved with a lot of um, environmental activism, but quite techy environmental activism around kind of finance, you know, how we could move flows of capital from the bad stuff into the good stuff, as it were. Um, but I, I began to get kind of increasingly disenchanted with, uh, with the environmental narrative, the kind of doom and gloom that was in the story we told about the environment. Because what I was seeing in, in um, technology was just this extraordinary um, improvement in the cost of solar and, and, and batteries and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, it seemed within a few years they'd begin to outcompete the old stuff. And actually, we would, we would largely decarbonize the economy really because of, you know, better and cheaper technology rather than because we decided to give up consumption or because governments decided to kind of tax and regulate us to get there. Um, and anyway, I, I, as part of my journey in environmentalism and, and, and environmental technology, I ended up out in the US um, where I met my co-founder, Tony Sieber, my co-founder of Rethink X. We both got invited along uh, by the U.S. military to a kind of scenario planning exercise they were running. And they were, they were asking the question, you know, what happens if we get off fossil fuels very quickly? What, what will that mean for geopolitics? And um, I'll never forget being in this room with, with 10 invited experts from these kind of very august big institutions. And I'm not sure I'm supposed to name them, so I won't. But they were, you know, oil companies and consultants and, and departments of government and so on. And all of these guys had identical forecasts for the adoption of solar and the adoption of electric vehicles, these kind of low linear forecasts out to 2040, 2050 even. And, um, and Tony got up halfway through and when it was his turn to speak, he said, look, you know, that's not how disruption works. It's not a kind of slow incremental progression. You know, it's nonlinear and it's an S-curve and, and these things are over by the 2030s. And if you're going to make your, your plans based on these kind of faulty forecasts, you're going to make some major mistakes. And, you know, I, I absolutely agreed with him, said pretty much the same thing. And anyway, we went out for coffee afterwards and we talked about healthcare and farming and food production and, um, you know, finance, pretty much every sector of the economy and how, how we saw these disruptions coming. Um, but no one else seemed to and no one understood how quickly they might come and how profoundly they were going to affect society. And we ended up after kind of months of talking on the phone between London and San Francisco, deciding that we, we really had no choice but to set up a think tank to kind of do it better, to provide better forecasts for, for, um, for decision makers across society to make better decisions. I mean, that was our kind of founding statement. We've published a, a few reports on disruption at a sector level. And then last summer, we published a book called Rethinking Humanity, which was really looking at you know these disruptions together and what they might mean for society as a whole, how, how we might fundamentally have to change all kinds of um, aspects of society that we're not even thinking about. But it's a hopeful analysis in many ways about how we might solve most of the problems that we face today. We'll have a whole different set of problems, but the problems we have today are yesterday's problems. They're, they're the problems of a system that we're leaving behind. And, and you know, we spend all our life and all our time trying to patch up that old system and very little of our time, effort and resources trying to, trying to enable this new system to emerge. Where on earth is your place of reset or recharge? My favourite place to reset is, is out in Canada. So my, my wife's Canadian and, and she owns a cabin up right at the north of Lake Huron, a place called Georgian Bay. And um, I mean, it's the most beautiful place on earth, really. It's a part of the lake where 
you know, the, the shoreline's fractured, so there are thousands and thousands of islands. Um, and, and it's kind of bare rock with a few trees on top, and it's completely unspoiled. And we have a cabin on one of the islands up there, and we, we disappear there every summer. And it's just a very, very simple life. I mean, they, they, they actually now have phone masts up there, which is kind of disappointing. But, um, you know, by sort of the time people wake up, it's just too blocked to even, even bother trying to use. So you, you have to kind of set aside all your electronic equipment and actually just, you know, relax into it. And, and it's the most extraordinary place. And, and that's where I do a lot of my writing and a lot of my thinking. And, um, yeah, I come back every year just totally re-energized and ready to go. What wonder of the natural world excites you the most? So the wonder of the natural world that excites me the most um, at the moment are mycelium networks. And by that, I mean the, 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 the kind of whole body of which the mushroom is essentially the flowering part. Um, and it's, it's an area that I've only kind of recently, well, discovered in depth and, 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 and is a source of endless fascination. Now, I sound a bit geeky saying that, and that's, well, that's partly because I am a geek. But secondly, because I've, I've just started reading and exploring, and they seem to answer so many of the questions that I have um, in, in all kinds of ways, at all, at, at all kinds of, uh, of levels. But, um, you know, in our work, you know, we've been looking at how we might, you know, society might be kind of on the cusp of a kind of kind of major restructuring around a production system that's much more kind of distributed and localized. And, you know, mycelium network in some ways seem to be the model um, in the way in which they exchange information and materials over a whole network, a whole expanse. They're essentially a bunch of, you know, interconnected nodes, um, which is, is kind of how we see the emerging economy. And so I'm kind of, I kind of had these ideas of, you know, biomimicry for governance and biomimicry for economics and so on running around my head is that in some ways we, we, you know, we kind of need to mimic nature because, you know, nature is ultimately kind of distributed and connected. And so I, I think actually, you know, for me right now, that, that's an area of immense fascination. It's a part of nature that I've never really understood or explored other than kind of enjoyed mushrooms occasionally. But it's a, there's a whole depth there that I, I never realized existed. James, what is your story of hopefulness that's not your own about a person, business or non-profit who are doing amazing things for the world? My story of hopefulness is around biotechnology. Um, it, I mean, it's an area that I think is just going to transform the world. It involves you know, countless individuals and businesses who are just learning ways essentially to hack biology in all kinds of different ways to produce the things we need. So you know, what, what, what we see is a, a kind of combination of, of information technology and, and biotechnologies coming together in such a way that we can not just decode nature, but actually begin to design all kinds of things, you know, particularly food and um, materials, which we can use in all kinds of ways. And, and, and it's going to transform the world. I mean, you know, it's going to solve all kinds of problems that we have today that come with our current ways of growing food, the soil depletion, the, the greenhouse gas emissions, uh, the runoff, the effluent, the pollution, the deforestation, all of these things that, that you know, deplete our world right now can be solved as we learn to produce food and materials you know, without having to extract them from, from animals or from, from, from mines. And, and it's going to transform it's going to transform actually 
our whole system of production to one where we, you know, we're extracting um, scarce materials to what, you know, to, to, to one where we're kind of building them up from the, you know, the single molecule or the single cell with, with almost perfect efficiency. I mean, of course, not perfect, but with vast improvements in efficiency. So it'll lead to kind of lower cost food and materials, but also vastly lower cost to our planet vastly less impactful and 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 you know some of the breakthroughs are, are just extraordinary both in terms of of, of the cost but, but in terms of what we can produce and how quickly so you know we're seeing people making leather for instance unconstrained by the evolution of, of a cow so you can you can now produce leather of any kind of size or any thickness or any almost any properties you can produce you know foods of all types that you can't even imagine we and you know, it's an extraordinary thing because, you know, our current systems are just completely unsustainable. You know, there's no way we could feed the world, you know, anything that looks like an affluent diet, um, you know, through the old extraction-based model, through the old, you know, livestock farming um, model, because no matter how well we do it, we just don't have enough. There's just just not enough land. There's just not enough resource to, to, to feed the world. But, you know, this way we can we can produce food at a fraction of the cost, you know, with benefits across the board, benefits in terms of, of, of health and environmental impact and cost and, you know, food security and, and all, all kinds of things. So, you know, that, that whole space is one that, that, that just holds endless fascination for me. And, and, and some of the kind of the front runners, the impossible foods and the, um, you know, Clara food. I mean, there are so many different business operating in this space. It, it, it's actually, we wrote a report about this, you know, two years ago now. And it, the space has just moved so fast in terms of the amount of investment that's flying in, the products that they're managing to develop. We're seeing, you know, companies produce, you know, milk and ice cream. And, and, and actually, we're beginning to see things like steak, much more complex problems, more complex structures. So, I mean, it's, it's just a really exciting place. And in a decade or so, you know, we might just see the end of animal agriculture. Right? We, we won't be eating. And, and, and we would see the, you know, the end as well of fishing, essentially of overfishing, certainly. I mean, we won't be depleting our oceans anymore. Um, and, and, and actually what's interesting is, you know, once you get an alternative that is lower cost and beneficial in all these respects, which we've never had, I mean, you know, as, as much as we might think veganism or, 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 you know, other lifestyle changes are a solution to some of these problems, you know, they're not ones we can ever force through. And we're never gonna change people's behavior enough to solve these problems. But you know, we can produce you know, things that replicate everything we have today or actually improve on them. And once you've got a lower cost, you know, more secure, more resilient, um, better on every parameter alternative, um, you know, I think governments will move very quickly and we might see our oceans regenerate. We might see all kinds of, um, you know, the land regenerated, our you know, ecosystems restored. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just extraordinary what can happen with just, you know, a few technologies in one small space that will just transform, you know, all of the Earth systems, essentially. Finally, as we prepare to re-enter, what insight, wisdom or question would you like to share with us? Well, there are plenty of them, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with with perception or thinking because you know one of one of the biggest challenges that I I think we face is a problem of perception. So you know we, we live in a world that you know a society really that evolved kind of through the industrial revolution, through the through the um, you know the enlightenment and the scientific revolution, and we still have a lot of 
lot of the systems and the ways of thinking that emerged then. And, and by that, I mean, you know, the way we tend to perceive, you know, what is an incredibly complex um, world, the way we, we interpret it or, or the way we, we make it intelligible is to break it down into, into kind of small pieces. And, we've, you know, our, our, our Western mind is incredibly good at understanding, you know, the individual parts of the whole. So, so we, you know, we understand the functioning of the world down to the subatomic scale. And it's been extraordinary. And that kind of reductionisms, you know, kind of ripple across every other part of society and the way we organize ourselves. So we see governments, you know, organized into, into different departments, you know, separated by activity or academia divided up into different subjects. Um, but we also see it, you know, it, it manifesting itself in our kind of belief in individual rights, which forms the bedrock of, you know, democracy. Um, free market capitalism, you know, our social contract where we trade our own individual labor for capital and so on. Um, and so, so that kind of reductionism is really at the center of our industrial system. And, you know, this is, I guess, really why we, we, we kind of set up RethinkX in the first place is that, is that, you know, we need to rebuild that. We don't need to dispose of it. I think it's all incredibly valuable knowledge. It's, it's in some ways, it's a paradigm of physics. And we need to add to it the paradigm of biology. And by that, I mean, you know, understanding the interconnections, the interactions between the pieces, which we've, which we've lost, which we just don't see. And I think, you know, those societies and those businesses and those individuals who can do that, who can take a, a much more holistic viewpoint on the whole, um, will do far better as we go forward. And so, you know, the challenge for, for all of us and the challenge for me particularly is to kind of unlearn what we think we knew because you know when when systems change everything changes and 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 in some ways the kind of the greater and deeper your expertise of the old system you know the more you have to unlearn and you know that's a challenge i'm i'm confronting daily to to unlearn what i th i thought i knew and 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 try to relearn but it's um you know it's it's a challenge i mean it's going to be an extraordinary thing to embrace as we go forward and something i'm you know i'm i'm devoting my life to in many ways To find out more about Rethink X and to download their free book called Rethinking Humanity, go to rethinkx.com. To listen to the previous 31 Wonderspace interviews, the website is ourwonder.space. I want to thank James for joining us on this Wonderspace, and I hope you can join us next week for more wonders and stories of hopefulness.